We have been looking at this idea, uh, out of the darkness sweet things come. We've used uh, Isaiah 45 uh, verse 3 as our text, and he says, I'll give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. And why would he do that? That you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel. It's to know him more. It's to know Jesus better. Can I say that every one of us will go through some dark times in our life? The Bible tells us that we're all going to suffer persecution. There will be times that it seems like the darkness will not go away. But we've always found throughout this series there is light at the end of the tunnel. And can I say it may be a dark time in your life. But don't be afraid of the darkness because Jesus is with you. Looking at the life of Jesus and using the Bible as our survival manual like we talked about the other week, we see that Jesus suffered like things that we suffer and even beyond what we suffer. He, he made it through the dark times. He came out on the other side with victory. And he done that to show us that if we would just trust him, we can come out on the other side with victory in our lives. We find this about getting into a dark place of Calvary for three hours. We find that he laid in a dark tomb for three days and nights. I found this out. God allowed his son to go through dark places. And listen to me. If God allowed his perfect son, the perfect lamb, to go through dark places, what did that say about you and I? And we are the sons and daughters of God tonight. We find in this walk, in these dark places here, in the garden, the Calvary, the tomb, we find some of the sweetest things that God has ever done for mankind comes out of this darkness. Some of the greatest things that he, they treasures that we hold on as a Christian, all of them were birthed out of suffering and out of dark places in our Lord Jesus' life. 27, Matthew 27, verse number 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthaniah. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I say I've heard preachers say that you never should ask God why? You should never question God. That's a sin to question God. If that's, if that's the case, our Lord and Savior sinned on the cross of Calvary. Because he asked, Lord, why? Why has thou forsaken me? It, it, it's not a sin to ask God why. why. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? But it is a sin, sin to ask God and question his motives for what he's doing. But getting to a place and asking God, why have you allowed this? I don't understand this. We have found that the point in God, but he's suffering as a man suffers. Early in the text, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's calling them Father. 
but somewhere in the text it switched and now he is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 47, some of them that stood there when they heard that he, he said, this man calleth Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with a vinegar and put it to a reeve and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had heard, cried out with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. And, he, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain and the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept. Around. I mean, can you imagine this? Now, I don't want you to get this picture, man. You got some loved ones out in that graveyard out there and all of a sudden, boom, they're walking downtown. Something mighty powerful had to happen. It just, you don't get that every day. In fact, you ain't never seen it again and never heard of it again except this day. And came out of the graves and out the resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion that uh, were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord. We just ask you to touch our hearts, open us up, open our minds up, and Lord, just give us the words that we need to have tonight, Lord. Lord, we'll praise you for all that you do. We'll give you the honor and glory in all things that we do. Everything we do would be give you the glory. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. We find in verse 45 uh, 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 how, how from the sixth hour there's the darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus hangs on that cross for six hours, suffering, bleeding for the sins of humanity. And at this time when the sun is at the highest peak, the noon hour, God engulfs this world into darkness. We could ask, what, what was the point of the darkness? We'll look at that in just a moment. But what amazes me is uh, here is that the light of the world, Jesus just said, I am the light of the world, was put into darkness. He, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. But yet the light of the world in darkness is a light that will light up the new Jerusalem. The Bible says it's 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles that way, and that way, that way, and, and it has no need for the sun because Jesus as a light will light that entire city up. The Bible says in Revelation 21, for he, the Lamb, is the light. But yet the light of the world is in darkness now. The light that John, Peter, and James saw on Mount Transfiguration, it was so bright that they had to fall to their knees. The apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus and that light showed up and blinded him for three days. The light that John saw on the Isle of Patmos was so bright he fell on his face as a dead man. That light that has gone is dark. You say, what's the point of the light being put in the darkness? 
It's for you and I. What he's doing by being put in the dark, he's identifying with the transgressor. He said, what do you mean? Mankind without God is born in darkness, lives in darkness, dies in a spiritual darkness, and, and spends eternity out into the outer darkness, the Bible tells us, where it's weeping and gnashing and, and, and teeth and, and identifying. He's identifying with the transgressor. He is becoming us. We see in his suffering is enough for sweet things for us. Preaching on the darkness of the cross. Why did he have to go to the cross for us? First of all, he endured my sentence. He endured my sentence. Uh, what I justly deserved, what I earned, what I, uh, I, 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 it was my sentence. It was my cross, but Jesus endured it for me. He endured my sentence of the cross. This cross has not belonged to him. It was with, he was without sin. So why is he on the cross? So that you and I could go to the cross of sin and you and I don't have to go to the cross of sin. You say, well, I've never been convicted of anything. But you and I are a picture of the man who took his place. When a man is found guilty of his crimes, they would make him to carry his cross to the top of the hill. Just added punishment. The Bible calls it his cross. He would bear his cross, making it personal. The Bible said when they brought Jesus to the trial, there was another man there that was going to the cross with the other two male factors. There was another man there, but they brought Jesus out. And his name was Barabbas. Barabbas deserved what he was getting. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was an insurrector. He was a he, he, uh, treason against Rome. Barabbas deserved what he was going to get. Jesus was charged with the same crime. But Jesus didn't deserve it. So they bring Jesus out on one side, Barabbas on the other side. The crowd's there every time at the Passover. They, they, they would forgive one and let him go. No matter what he had done, they would forgive him. And the crowd cried out, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Pilate says, I, I found no fault in him. Crucify him. Get rid of him. Why did Jesus do it? He took my sentence upon himself. I deserve the cross because I'm a sinner. The Bible says, curse it, everyone that hangeth on the tree. That was my cross. That was my condemnation. But thank God Jesus Christ endured my sentence and stepped up to the plate and said, I will take your cross that you can go free. 
I don't have to suffer the cross. Jesus already suffered and died on the cross for me. That I can. Jesus bled in my place. Jesus bled on my cross. Jesus took my punishment. Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. Bible said he was numbered with the transgressors. He said, I will be one of you so you don't have to go to what I'm going to have to endure for you. He endured my sentence. He endured your sentence. And we act like we got nothing to shout about. He endured my condemnation. What do you mean condemnation? My, my condemnation as a sinner. I should have died. I should go to hell for all eternity. I have offended the holy righteous God. And the punishment for that I should spend eternity in a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Where sinners go for all eternity. Verse 46, he said, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, you, you see the condemnation here in that? He is forsaken by God. He's disowned by God. You say, what's that? That's what's happening. That's what happens to a sinner. They want God out of their mind. They want him, the Bible said they did not uh, like to retain God in their knowledge. The world don't want God in the around them. The world, sinners don't want God around them. I'm just telling you like this morning, there's going to come a day they're going to get what they want. They're going to go to a place where there's no God. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was abandoned and disowned. That was my sentence. We, we find on the cross that Jesus cried. I thirst in Luke 16. We find that a sinner in hell, he said in Luke chapter 16, uh, uh, the sinner was in hell and he sent to Lazarus. He said, may, may he dip his finger into the water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. We, we, we find that God who formed the, the waters in his hands and he formed the rivers and formed the ocean and yet that same God is on the cross and says, I thirst. The one that called the rain to come down. I thirst. He thirsts for you and I. 
my condemnation for me. Thank God He took my punishment for me. Can I say this? You don't have to go to hell if you don't want to because somebody's already done paid the price for you. Jesus took your sentence. He paid for your sentence. You have been pardoned. But it does no good if you don't apply that pardon to your life. Too many people know about the pardon. They know about what Jesus Christ had done for them. They know where he went to for them. They know all the things he went through for them. Yet they don't want to apply the pardon to their life and walk after the one that saved their lives. He endured my sentence. I, I look at all that he went through when he was betrayed by Judas in the garden. All that night at what, what he went through. The next day that he went through. The beating, the tortures, the spitting on, the rejection. Uh, it, it, and the, the cat of nine tails. That's your punishment. That's what you deserve. He didn't deserve it. And if he did that for you and I, then we ought to give him a whole lot more than we would give him today. I mean, that is worthy of praise. That is worthy of shout. That is worthy to thank God. I ought to just take a time out and just stand and just give God the praise that I'm not going to hell. Amen. He took my sentence upon him. Can I say this too? He ended my separation. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. From the top, you know, I'm glad they put it in the Bible from the top to the bottom. Because well, if it started at the bottom, that means man has somehow got involved in that, and man is not involved in this. In fact, that veil was, was so thick that you couldn't hardly cut it you could not see through it you could not see out of it that was a thick veil I, I think if man was going to cut that veil they'd probably be still cutting on it today from top to bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. you know what the veil signifies the veil signifies separation from God This well was in the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God sat. And the only person that go in there was a priest. And he only could go once a year and he had to carry blood with him. The veil signified that stay out. You cannot come here. You couldn't even peek behind there. We were not allowed in, only the high priest. The same as it was of Adam and Eve when they ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden. God put cherubim there with flaming swords, says, you cannot come in here no more. You cannot fellowship with you anymore. You don't belong here. Stay out. 
That's what the veil is telling us. We're not allowed to come to the throne of God. We cannot get to the throne of God. We have no fellowship with God. Something had to happen for that to be changed. But here on this day when God's Son enters into the darkness, takes upon himself my sentence and my separation from God. God recognizes that sacrifice. God reached down and ripped that veil from top to bottom. What's that signifying? That signifying, <laughs> come on in. Whosoever will. The separation is over. The middle wall of partition is broken down. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, broke or whatever. It doesn't matter whosoever will. You have the right to come in now. The veil has been ripped. Separation is over with. Doesn't matter how messed up you've been, how bad you've been. God opened the door of fellowship. Separation is over. Anybody could just come in. He wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. And on the cross, don't miss this, God forsook his son so that he could accept you and me. He rejected his son so that he could accept me. I can't get over that. I don't know why he would do that. I don't understand why he would go through what he would do for somebody like me. I'm not worthy. But he did. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I know the answer. So somebody like me can get into the family of somebody like him. To know what it's like to be forgiven and free in the family of God. Peter said, for, for Christ also who had suffered it for sins, the just and the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Paul said it like this, he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to me, don't miss this, don't miss this. God punished his son not just for me, but God punished his son as me. He could not punish his son. <laughs> he could not punish his son on the cross of Calvary unless he could see sin. If his son went to the cross of Calvary and still was sinless and perfect, he could not punish him. But what Jesus did, he said, I will take your sins. I'll put your sins on my shoulder that when I go to the cross, God looks down. My father looks down. He doesn't see me. He sees the sin that I'm bearing for you. I don't understand why. I don't know why he would do something like that. But he did. Now is that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. 
he sees the righteousness of his son. His righteousness was imputed unto me, and my sins were imputed unto him. That's when God punished him on the cross of Calvary. He punished, that was me. He was dying for me. God had to see him die for me. And on that cross, he had to see me hanging there. God died in my place. God sees me now. He treats me like his son. On Calvary, God sacrificed his son for all. And I don't understand why some people just really don't care. Bible says, how shall we neglect or escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And can I say this? God is not going to let it slide. We're going to stand for God one day and have to give an account. God is not going to let you slide around rejecting his son, marking his son, uh, brightening him off, and, and just saying things like you say about him and think about him. God's not going to let that slide. Someday it's going to cost you. He took my sentence upon him. He ended my separation. Can I say this? He established my salvation. Verse number 50. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He said, what's that, what's that got to do with establishing my salvation? Matthew doesn't give the count toward what Jesus cried. He yielded up the ghost. But the man standing by the cross that day when Jesus died, give us the account of what Jesus said. And it was the beloved John. John 19, 30 tells us this. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it, it is finished. And he bowed his head and yielded up the, and gave up the ghost. The finished work of suffering is over. The finished work of another sacrifice is over. The finished work for another uh, good deed is over. The finished work, uh, there's no need of an offering again at the altar. It's finished. He just didn't endure my sentence, not just my separation, but in this, when he cried, it is finished, he established my salvation. So what is this saying? It's saying my salvation is not dependent on what I do. It's not dependent on how my performance is. It's not dependent on how much money I got, what kind of establishment I got, how much power I got. It's not dependent on any of that thing. My salvation is dependent on what Jesus Christ did that at the Calvary, cross of Calvary. You say, well, you don't believe in living right. Yes, I do believe in living right. I believe in all those things. But I'm not doing it because of salvation. I'm doing it because God gave me salvation. God forgave me. 
wretched sinner that should have died on the cross. But God looks at me now and says, now you're the sons of God. I want to live that way. I desire to live that way. I want to walk that way. You cannot earn your way in. You cannot pay your way in. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. The work is over. The deed is done. The sacrifice has been made. The payment has been paid. God has accepted only one thing. And one thing only for our sins. And that's the finished work of Calvary. But yet so many people will turn their back on God. I don't understand them. I don't know why they do it. But people do. Out of the darkness, sweet things can come. Out of the darkness of Calvary, salvation came. Out of the darkness of Calvary, forgiveness came. Out of darkness of Calvary, we're born again. Washed by the blood on our way to out of the darkness, these sweet things can come out of darkness. And some of the greatest things God ever done for mankind has come out of darkness, birthed out of darkness. Don't be afraid of darkness. God's got something wonderful in there for you. Just wanting you to grab a hold of what His Word says and just let it ride in your life. Amen. God's been too good to us to not to praise Him, not to glorify Him, not to lift His name up. God's been too good for us. And we ought to give Him the praise and honor. We ought to just lift our hands up and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Amen. Amen.